Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys. This is the Cowboys Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Cowboys Wire editor, K.D. Drummond. Hey there, welcome into the program. Friendly reminder to uh, hit that subscribe button for us. Search the Cowboys Wire on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Whatever works best for you, we appreciate each and every one of the listeners. KD, what's good, my man? It's been a few weeks since we've dropped an episode. The Cowboys have been on this weird Sunday to Thursday to Thursday schedule, uh, but it's good to be back in our normal rotation. How are you feeling about your football team right now? Do you just have the blinders on, just focused on Washington? Are you legit concerned about the way they've been playing football lately? A, a little bit concerned about how they've been playing recently, but I see a lot of reasons why, explanations why they've been looking so bad, and I think that there are solutions right around the corner for the team. So while the last five games, uh, starting with that Denver game, uh, have not been the greatest, uh, it's been a little bit difficult to weather the storm uh, with the loss to Denver and then uh, especially the loss on Thanksgiving to uh, the Raiders. Uh, but but the Cowboys have shown that they're still a quality team, just things aren't going as smoothly as they were when the team won six games in a row to start the season or, you know, from week two through week eight when they played Minnesota. Um, so, yeah, there, there's still stuff that they need to clean up, but I don't think it's a situation where the Cowboys are no longer one of the best teams in the NFC. I still hold them in high regard in that in that category. Okay, so let's start here. Um, you know, just there's a few... A few names that it seems like Cowboys fans are, are, are after lately, you know, with the way this team's been playing. Mm-hmm. One of those names is Kellen Moore. And this is a guy who, you know, in the first month of the season, I mean, we couldn't say enough good things about Kellen Moore. He was just killing it. And, uh, but it seems like, you know, he's kind of frustrated. He looked frustrated on the sidelines of that Saints game. C.D. Lamb looked a little confused here and there about what play they're in. Dak looks a hair off on some of these throws. It's like, what gives? And it does feel like the fans are turning on Kellen Moore specifically. Most notably, KD, just like too many runs on second down. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like too many runs on second and long, to be more exact, right? Second, these second and long runs. Right. They're putting the Cowboys in these long third downs, and the Cowboys have been terrible on third down lately. They were two for 13 against the Saints last Thursday night with six three and outs. And over the last three weeks, the Cowboys are converting third downs at a 24.39% clip, which is second to last in the league. So something just not quite clicking like it was early in the year and fans seem to be on Kellen Moore's case. What do you think about that? What's going on with him in the offense? Yeah, it's it's tough because Kellen Moore is still, uh, he, he's, he's a poster child. He's a one boy. Everybody is predicting great things for him, including myself. Uh, but he is in, he he's in a rut. There's really no other way to explain it. He's in a play calling rut uh, where some of the things he's doing, he's not adjusting the same way he has in the past. And you have to kind of wonder about what's going on. That's fair criticism for anybody that's watching the Cowboys. You hit the nail on the head. They are not converting on third downs. And the issue is that the Cowboys didn't used to be on third down very often. They used to get first downs on first and second downs, and that's no longer the case. Uh, A lot of that has to do with the offensive line being in disarray. They've made some changes. Uh, Leo Collins coming back first. They swapped out. Uh, Connor Williams for Connor McGovern, Teron, uh, Tyron, excuse me, Tyron Smith uh, went out for several games. So all of that mixed together has really put the Cowboys in a weird situation. They can't run anymore because they are a decidedly left-handed running team this year for whatever reason. They run better to the left of center than they do to the right of center. Dak Prescott's blindside protection has not been there when they put Terrence Steele over there was an abject disaster. 
They had to roll protection over to that side. Um, and just things just are breaking down. So you can't run. Dak Prescott looks a little skittish. He did suffer his uh, calf injury and an ankle, you know, the ankle from off the off season, but the calf injury more recently in the middle of the year. And I think even though everybody's saying that he's 100% healthy, you have to wonder about the fact that Prescott is not running the ball. So all of these things are kind of adding to the regular ebb and flow of the season. Teams that start out hot, eventually defenses start to catch up to them. And a lot of people try to say, we talked about it on this show, Vic Fangio said he had the blueprint and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But the reality of the situation is it was kind of Bill Belichick. The Cowboys offense has not been right since they played New England and they won that game in overtime. They played Minnesota the next week and could only score 20 points. They played the Broncos, could only score two late touchdowns uh, to avoid a 30 to nothing shutout. Uh, Atlanta was different because they have, you know, the the cheat codes against the Falcons, thanks to Dan Quinn. Uh, So they were able to explode on them. But then they went to Kansas City and only scored nine points. Uh, The Vegas game, they exploded for, you know, 33 points in overtime. But that had a lot to do with a last second comeback to get them above the 25 point threshold. So, yeah, it's just been kind of rough for the Cowboys over the over the last several games. But I don't think that it's an end all be all like there's no bouncing back from this. I think. If the Cowboys offensive line can settle down and we saw Leo Collins play probably his best game since coming back in right tackle since Terrence Steele was out, it sounds like the Cowboys are going to continue with Leo Collins at right tackle, put Terrence Steele back in the backfield and have him as a, um, you know, have him as a sixth offensive lineman, maybe put him in the backfield as that fullback that they had Connor McGovern doing earlier in the year. Uh, Hopefully that they'll put Connor Williams back at left guard. I think that was a mistake that they made there. But if they get the offensive line together, all of that comes back. A lot of people are pointed to the Ezekiel Elliott injury, and I know we're going to talk about that in a second. But Tony Pollard, outside of some big runs, he has not been uh, averaging the yardage that he was early in the end of the year. He's had several games where he's averaged under four yards a carry uh, in this recent stretch. And then there's just the one big run uh, that he had against uh, New Orleans changed the face of what it looked like for him. So except for these big runs – the running game is not there. Dak Prescott is off. And it's just, it's, it's just everything is not working right. But again, I feel like it's just right around the corner for them to work out these kinks. And I wonder if there's a little bit of a long con where the Cowboys have played these series of AFC teams and they just felt like we aren't going to put our best foot forward because we want to make sure that we have some stuff left in the tank for the end of the season and for the playoffs that teams haven't seen before. And they've kind of scaled back on some of the things with the injuries and all of those factors that are that are uh, part of their decision-making process. Yeah, there's been a lot of factors with the Cowboys this year. Guys in and out of the lineup for every single reason you can think of, and the head coach. Uh, and, and you mentioned yep. where I was going with my next guy, uh, Zeke, right? He's the next guy that seems to be in the fans' crosshairs a little bit because he's not healthy, right? He's just not – you could see it in the game – on Thursday night, he's just not, he's kind of laboring with that knee injury. And uh, it felt like there was a chance he might sit down. That was kind of a storyline going into the game. And then the owner came out, Jerry Jones comes out and says, nope, he's not only he's going to play, but he's going to handle a big load in the game or whatever he said, whatever. I'm sure Jerry put it nice and colorful. A serious load. Yeah, serious load. A serious load. Thank you, Jerry. (laughs) Uh, But it's, it's clear that Zeke isn't, he isn't right. He's not moving, you know, well. And, uh, you know, Tony Pollard, he is explosive, right? He made that huge play in the in the kick return game against the Raiders. He busted that big run yep. against the Saints. So he is explosive. It's certainly more explosive than Zeke right now. And to Jerry's credit, Zeke did play. He played the entire game. 
he played all the way to the end uh, of this of yeah. this past game. KD, they gave him the ball with the you know when they were just running out the clock, the game in hand. The Saints out of timeouts. They handed Zeke one last run. It's like not like they're trying to limit his touches, but he's not right. So the fans seem to be in on sitting Zeke down until he gets healthy for a playoff push. Do you think that's the right way to go? Like, what do you think's going on with Zeke Elliott? We don't know whether or not rest will help because it's not a muscle injury, at least according to the reports, that is a bruise. And it's uh, an issue that when he falls on it wrong, uh, it just it starts to hurt. It tightens up on him. And then he has to basically wait until it loosens up in order to go again. And it didn't loosen up. It didn't appear to loosen up at all in the New Orleans game. But there's a couple factors that I think went into the New Orleans game and why things went off script. Remember, you just mentioned Mike McCarthy was out. So Mike McCarthy is kind of the overarching presence when it comes to the decisions on offense and defense. And the reason that I think that there was a lack of adjustments for that game was that how is Dan Quinn, who is basically a co-worker with Kellen Moore, going to tell Kellen Moore to rein it in? That's, that's not his job. That's yeah. Mike McCarthy's job. And yeah. even though that Dan Quinn was an interim coach, he doesn't have really the authority to go to Kellen Moore and say, hey, guy, you know, get it together, do this X, Y, Z, because that's not his job. So we kind of saw that. And I'm wondering if the fact that Elliot was back in the game, Elliot and Kellen Moore used to be teammates. They're very close in age. And I'm wondering if that was more so Elliot, who was the absolute warrior when it comes to wanting to fight through the injury, but just kind of saying, you know, I'm still going to get my touches. We saw his touches were down uh, in Las Vegas uh, against, uh, against the Raiders. He only had nine carries against Kansas City. He only had nine carries, but it bounced back up to uh, 13 carries against New Orleans in a game that they were up 17 points in the fourth quarter. He should have been resting the entire fourth quarter. Yep. But that's not the case. So I wonder if that had something to do with it, that there was nobody in Kellen Moore's ear to kind of rein him back in because he doesn't have that much experience, only his third year as a coordinator, and that might have played a role in it. But yes, Tony Pollard is clearly a more dynamic runner than Elliott, and it works well when they're healthy and when the offensive line is working. It's a change of pace. That's why they call it a change of pace back. Elliott hits the hole at a different timing than Tony Pollard does. So when Elliott is working and he's getting those five-yard carries and seven-yard carries, and then the defense starts to hone in on what Elliott does, you bring Tony Pollard in and he gets a change of pace and he's more productive. Now, you have situations where just everything comes together the way that he escaped in the backfield for the big run uh, against uh, New Orleans this past week. But as far as just habitually being effective, you can see he's being stifled the same way Elliott is, and he's healthy. So, you know, the issue is bigger than Elliott's injury, but I think that there is a, a reason that you would want to give Tony Pollard more touches, but I don't want to see it. I spoke about this in the past. Tony Pollard is not a running back one. He can't handle 20, 25 carries a game. That's just not what he's here to do. Uh, so the problem is that the Cowboys don't have anybody else on the roster that can help augment Pollard if they're going to sit Elliott. So they're kind of in a catch-22. They need to rest him, but they cannot get the run game going. And we're seeing what's happening with the difficulty that the off, that the passing offense is having with no running game to, to rely on. All right, interesting stuff right there. Uh, coming up next, we're going to have takes on Micah Parsons and the Cowboys' salary cap situation. The uh, there's There was a report out the projected cap is out for 2022. We're going to get into all that with our questions of the week right after this. This is the Typical Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. 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 
I'm Corey Benini with TheHuddle.com, here to bring you strong plays for week 14 of the fantasy football season. Quarterback Ben Roethlisberger, Pittsburgh Steelers at Minnesota Vikings. His two best fantasy games have come in the last three weeks, and while his arm isn't what it used to be, Big Ben can still remain efficient with short area passing and rack up a couple of touchdowns along the way. Roethlisberger has at least two touchdown passes in three of his last four contests, and Minnesota has given up three or more such plays in the last five games, including 296 yards, three touchdowns, and no picks to Jared Goff last week. Even Dallas Cowboys backup Cooper Rush torched his defense in week 8, and in the five games leading up to week 13, Minnesota's ranked 34.7% better than average for a quarterback to face. Carolina Panthers running back Chuba Hubbard versus Atlanta Falcons. The rookie's last game as a starter came in week 8 at Atlanta, in which he finished with 16.1 PPR points, his second best showing to date. The Panthers are not only without running back Christian McCaffrey for the rest of the year, but offensive coordinator Joe Brady was fired during the bye week. Hubbard should benefit from the newfound dedication to the running game, and he's a strong play number two in weekly formats. Minnesota Vikings wide receiver K.J. Osborne versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. Wide receiver Adam Thielen has an ankle injury and has been ruled out for this Thursday nighter. And Osborne is the next man up against a Steelers defense that will be without cornerback Joe Hayden once again. While that doesn't directly impact Osborne, it shifts the coverage around in his favor. Four times in the last five games, a wide receiver scored against the Steelers, and the position has averaged the 12th most yards per game during that window of operation. Osborne is a slightly risky but certainly viable wide receiver three with number two upside. New York Giants tight end Evan Ingram at Denver Broncos. Ingram might as well have Tom the hot dog salesman throwing to him in week 14, but this matchup is so dang good that it's hard to get away from it. Quarterback Daniel Jones is unlikely to play, and his backup Mike Glennon suffered a concussion in week 13. That leaves Jake Fromm as the third stringer. In reality, is Fromm really that much worse, if at all, than Glennon? Probably not. LA has allowed tight ends five touchdowns in the last 22 catches, which is solidly the easiest matchup in that metric. Play Ingram as a flyer for a cheap touchdown. The playoffs will be upon us in week 15. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, information, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, it's that part of the show, the questions of the week, where I throw KD some questions that he was not prepped on. And here's question number one for you, KD. You'll like this one. Uh, Micah Parsons notched his 10th sack of the season. I mean, we saw it on Thursday Night Football. They're using him to spy Taysom Hill one play. They're using him to drop deep into coverage the next. The next play, they're rushing him, the passer, right? So he's awesome to watch play to play. Is there, is there any doubt in your mind right now that he's the defensive rookie of the year? There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that he is the defensive player of the year. <laughs> he, he is the runaway defensive rookie of the year. Uh, and, and I think that based on, you know, some of the guys slowing down, I, there's a definitely strong argument to make that TJ Watt should repeat as defensive player of the year. So Watt is just incredible, but he's been injured. He's missed a couple games. Uh, but what we're seeing Parsons doing, the, the versatility, as you highlighted, he can rush. He's, you know, top five in rushes. He's barely in the top 100 in pass rush attempts which just shows you how insane it is that what he's doing on a part-time level. And it's not just that he's on a part-time level in the game. He's doing this in a part-time level in practice. He's practicing with linebackers. He warms up with the linebackers. So he's really just using 
his raw talent as opposed to being a dedicated edge rusher to affect the games in this way. He's simply the best. He has the best edge rush moves of pretty much anybody in the league. He just doesn't do it enough or else he'd probably have 20 sacks by now if he focused solely on that all season and in the off season. But he can also cover. He can also pursue. Um, it's just it, it's an amazing Amazing find for the Cowboys. And we have to remind everybody of two things. One, I did not like the pick. I was <laughs> anti-Michael yes. Parsons because I do not I do not believe linebackers matter. But he is not a linebacker. He is a unicorn and mistakes were made. But mistakes were made by the two teams in front of the Cowboys too, because they took cornerbacks and you know, Patrick Sertain and JC Horn are going to be phenomenal pros. But the Cowboys lucked into Michael Parsons because they 100% were going to take one of those cornerbacks to match up with Trevon Diggs. Uh, but Michael Parsons fell in their lap, and then Philly gave us an extra draft pick and still let us take him. So pass off to the Eagles front office as well. Thanks, Philly. Yeah, we appreciate you. Yeah, uh, thanks, Philly. <laughs> questions num- question number two, the Cowboys are $12 million over the projected cap for 2022. Uh, KD, you have an in-depth article up on Cowboys Wire right now about the current cap situation and the potential moves that the Cowboys could do to get compliant. Everybody should check that thing out on Cowboys Wire. Who do you think are the most likely players the team could trade or outright release, KD? Because you do discuss in this article some fan favorites that, uh, you know, some, I mean, Cowboys fans might go to this article, check it out, and be like, oh, ooh, ooh no, I don't want to release this guy. Like, some of these big names, <laughs> some of these guys were big names. Who do you think are some big names that could get outright released or traded? I'm not doing my job if I don't go through every possibility that's out there for the front office because the front office is not doing their job if they don't at least have these conversations to figure out what's best for the team in the immediate future and in the long-term future. So in that exercise, you come up on names like Amari Cooper, There's the first uh, who one, has yep. a $20 million base salary. Yep. He $20 million base salary. He has just $2 million in um, allocated signing bonus per season. Uh, so he could easily be somebody that you could get a lot of rewards uh, for trading get back, uh, you know, high draft picks. I'm sure you can get a number one pick for Amari Cooper. And if the Cowboys were looking to go in that direction, he would be possible. I don't think that's a good idea. I think we've seen what happens when Amari Cooper is not right, but it could happen. Another name, Lyle Collins. Lyle Collins was not on the Cowboys' uh, favorite player list as far as the front office. It was very weird that they were refusing to put him back in the lineup. They left Terrence Steele out there. He is a better player than Terrence Steele, and he is just now getting his job back. So you have to wonder whether or not the Cowboys' insistence on playing Terrence Steele was because they might look to move Lyle Collins in the offseason. I don't think they're going to release him, but could they trade him? He only makes $10 million a year, and he's a top right tackle. They could 100% trade him for that contract and get really quality returns as well. So those are the two main guys, but you could also see potential releases uh, with Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, you could also see guys like Anthony Brown, who even though he had that catastrophe in week one and the catastrophe against the Raiders on Thanksgiving, has played a really, really good cornerback position this year. But they have a guy in waiting in Kelvin Joseph that is going to need a starting spot next year. So could Anthony Brown be released and get some money out of that situation? He could be traded as well. But the main thing that, te- that uh, fans of the team need to know is that while the Cowboys are right now over the cap, they have a dead, uh, uh, already mandated restructure built into Dak Prescott's contract that's going to shave $15 million off of their cap number. It's going to get them compliant. And then everything else is just about creating wiggle room 
to try to sign some of these guys like Randy Gregory, potentially Michael Gallup, uh, and some of the other free agents that they have, a laundry list, 22 free agents that they're facing uh, this year. Randy Gregory is obviously top top on that list, uh, and then Michael Gallup is a close second. So the Cowboys are going to be looking at doing something, potentially releasing Brown. Blake Jarwin's on that list as a potential guy that they could cut uh, to cr- be able to create some room. And then other guys that they might try to avoid doing stuff with, Ezekiel Elliott's contract, they might look to restructure Demarcus Lawrence if they don't you know, release him to let Gregory and Parsons be the main guys. Uh, so a lot of decisions that the Cowboys are going to make in the offseason. And honestly, it's going to have a lot to do with how things shake out during this run. If the Cowboys get to the NFC Championship game and don't win, then maybe they're more prone to say, let's keep the band together and give it one more shot. But if they have to play in a wild card round and they get upset, then maybe changes are made. So still a lot of decisions to be made by this front office. Yeah, it's fascinating. I saw names like Amari and Tank Lawrence in your uh, article, and it's like, ooh, man, those would be you know, blockbuster franchise altering moves if they make those. But, you know, moves like that happen every year on on teams all over the place. So um, something to keep our eye on. But, man, those would be huge. All right, question number three. Buy or sell the Cowboys as Super Bowl contenders heading through December here, KD. Have you – are you off that track at all? I know the Cowboys have lost their way a little bit over the last month and not not really crushing teams like they were earlier in the year. Um, But do you still have confidence in them as a Super Bowl contender? I do. I do because – what they faced in New Orleans, New Orleans has a very, very strong defense. And so with all of the injuries and all of the COVID stuff and how it transpired, I have no problem with the offensive performance scoring 27, uh, well, 20 points. They had to pick six, but scoring what they did against New Orleans. They were up by 17, and then it was garbage time touchdown that they allowed. So I still think that that is the essence of this team. Being able to win by double digits on the road is what this team is built for. I think that as they get healthy, uh, which they're doing. They're going to get Randy Gregory back. They're finally getting Nelva Gallimore back in the in, in the interior. Tristan Hill, who came off of uh, PUP a couple weeks ago and then got suspended, he'll be back for this game. Uh, and then the formula is right there for them. The Cowboys have only lost one game in the uh, to an NFC opponent, and now they're going to finish with five straight against the NFC or six straight. Uh, they have the New Orleans game, two against Washington, one against Philly, one against the Giants, and then Arizona mixed in. So six straight games against NFC opponents. If the Cowboys can run this table, that's going to include a win over the number one team, and they play them at home. They play at uh, Arizona Week 17 at AT AT&T Stadium. They 100% have everything in front of them. The number one seed is not out of their grasp, even if they can't get that because it will still take a little bit of help. Uh, I still think that they can win on the road when it comes to the playoffs. If they had to travel to a place like Arizona, the elephant in the room is if they had to travel to Green Bay. (laughs) We don't do very well there. Uh, The rest – and Green Bay tend to team up on us whenever we visit that stadium in the cold and the frozen tundra. But I think outside of that, there's really nothing that fear that that instills fear in me about the rest of the NFC field. The Cowboys can hang with any of them. The refs can't be as bad as they were on Thanksgiving, KD. That was, that might take the cake. That was that oh, was don't challenge them. <laughs> I'm trying Do to challenge not them. challenge them, oh, sir, because they so will rough. take you up on that challenge. That was so rough. I was like, <laughs> you got to be. I'm, I'm trying to enjoy this game, and it's just like you get off my screen, Hockley get off my freaking screen um yeah it, it's gonna be an interesting stretch for the cowboys here going down five games left four of them against the nfc east including this one here coming up against washington we're gonna get into that matchup look at the spread and make a prediction right after this this is the typical sports minute let's make this interesting 
What's up? This is Jeff Clark from the Bed Slipping Podcast presented by SportsbookWire.com. I'm here with my handicap and homie, Nathan Beagle, to break down this week's Monday Night Football game between the Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. Our friends at Typico Sportsbook have the Cardinals favor two and a half points and the total sitting at 51 and a half. I'm on the Cardinals minus two and a half here because they have the better quarterback and the better defense. And this line, this game is priced as if these teams are even even on a neutral field, whereas I think Cardinals are favored or should be favored on a neutral field. So I'll take them laying two and a half at home. Nate, how are you betting the Rams-Cardinals game? All right, so both teams rank in the top 10 in opponents passing yards per game, yet they love to throw the ball. The Rams are averaging under 24 points per game versus teams with top 10 pass defenses. Combine it all, and I think the under 52 looks good. That was your typical Sportsbook Minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, KD, the Cowboys, four-point favorites as we speak right now, heading to Washington. A red-hot Washington football team, right? They've won four straight. And not a ton of slow. I mean, the Bucks, Panthers, Seahawks, Raiders. Uh, the Washington football team's been hot. Um, and I think, you know, what gives you a little bit of pause when you're thinking about backing a road favorite like the Cowboys are going into this matchup is that one team is kind of hot in Washington and, and the other hasn't really been themselves, right? So I think the question is, you know, do the Cowboys have their pieces back healthy and, and, and all in the right spots to uh, start making their, their run right now and maybe play their best game against Washington on the road? It's a question, but four-point favorites on the road. What do you think about that spread? I am... I am actually in favor of the Cowboys being able to cover that and uh, giving the points and still coming out victorious uh, when it comes to betting against the spread. I think the Cowboys are primed to explode in this game. And maybe that's a fan in me and, you know, putting my um, analyst hat to the side and, and I'm rooting for my heart because we all know uh, that I am anti-Washington football team in every way, shape or form. Yes, sir. And I want to bury them in the dirt. Um, but if this just feels like one of those games that the Cowboys, they get all their guys back. They're kind of, you know, they, they started to hit the reset button against new Orleans on the road. Um, Washington does present some unique challenges. Their run game is tough. Uh, but the Cowboys are going to have their best defensive tackle rotations they've had all season long. They have their edge, their run stopping elite at ed- a run stopping edge defender and tank Lawrence back with a game under his belt. They're going to have relentless pressure between Lawrence and Parsons and Gregory, uh, which they have not had all season long because Parsons wasn't rushing the passer against Tampa Bay. It's just a formula that should be in place for the Cowboys to be able to do this. They got Amari back. They got CD back. Michael Gallup has several games under his belt. Um, the question is what's going to go down with the offensive line. That's, that's really what it's going to come down to. Um, they're a little bit lucky. There's no Chase Young in this game. He's done for the year, but Washington's defensive front is still very formidable. Uh, so that's really where the battle is going to come down to. But we have to remember, the Cowboys are built to dominate NFC East teams. They are plus 44 in two games against the NFC East so far this year. Plus 44. They live 
for these intra-division matchups. And I have a feeling that they're home away from home because promise you that it's going to be half blue in that stadium at FedEx Field. <laughs> we saw the game that they just played against the Raiders. Yeah. That was a uh, that, that stadium was half empty. All of those seats are going to be filled by Cowboys fans come Sunday. So it, it, I think that the Cowboys, it, it, they do play very close games. Washington did sweep them last year without Dak Prescott, but Prescott is 7-1 and one against Washington. I see no reason to think that's going to change. This, this just feels like the game where everybody sees Washington is hot. They all love to say, oh, now there's drama in the NFC East. And I think the Cowboys are going to take that to heart and come out and really put the screws to the Washington franchise. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, Washington is hot. They've won four straight, but you know the analytics on them doesn't really show them to be one of the top teams in the NFL. They're kind of a middling team. Right. You should be able to have your way with right. them. But it's a sneaky big game, right, on the road. And Washington's been – they're trying to sneak their way back into the division race. Um, you know, really, if the Cowboys win this game, like you said, Washington's buried, right? And really the, the division's yep. done. But this will be a fun little stretch, right? At Washington, at the Giants, home against Washington. Then you you take a little break. You go play this huge game at home against Arizona. And then you end it with Philly on the road. So uh, a lot of NFC East here coming up. There's good, some good eating here coming up the next few weeks. But you can enjoy this, right? Pounding the crap out of Washington Giants, Washington the next three weeks. That could be a fun little stretch for Cowboys fans. Yeah, the interesting thing is that uh, obviously it's subject to change. But the game that I'm most worried about is when Washington goes to Dallas for that Sunday night game. That's the game that worries me the most out of the entire rest of the schedule. I think for whatever reason, I just have a lot of confidence in them against Arizona. Um, you know, Colin Murray is definitely a, a load and DeAndre Hopkins has post drive from many a Cowboys cornerback. Uh, but yeah, I just, the, the game that I worry about the most on that schedule out of those five is when Washington travels to Dallas, because I think Dallas gets this one rather handily and Washington will then kind of fade away. And then they will look at it like, this is our, um, what are the customers last stand? That's how they're going to look at it. And that's the game that worries me the most about the Cowboys, uh, five game stretch. Yeah. I, I like the Cowboys a lot this week. Um, you know, you got Amari finally back in the lineup and, and that was another Another guy that was in the crosshairs that I meant to ask you about earlier, Amari Cooper. People, people not happy with Amari Cooper yeah. for uh, for missing time no. like he did, right? And and nor should they be. So yeah, missing two big games, including that Thanksgiving one. Not good. Both the Cowboys losses. So get him back playing his uh, normal allotment of snaps. Uh, you know, it just feels like the pieces are coming together. Cowboys could use a nice get right game, and and this feels like it. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. Cowboys minus four is the uh, is the play here. And uh, you know, KD, how many how many units you got? How many units you on for this one? One, two, three, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. three units is what I would bet on this Ooh, game. That's that's good. That's that's a lot of confidence from you. I like that. All right, three yeah, units on the yeah, Cowboys. I'm feeling this one. I'm with you. Okay, cool. Three units on the Cowboys. So we'll see what happens for KD. I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks for joining us again. Hit us up on um, on Spotify or wherever you find your pods, and hit subscribe. And we will catch you next time after Cowboys Washington. Talk to you then. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.